Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 2, 13 through 17. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then, passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Good to see y'all this morning. Um, in case you didn't know, that was my wife. She's a very beautiful and godly woman. I love her. So I just had to say that. Just had to say that. Now we're going to we're going to continue through our series in Mark. Uh, we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom. Now, one time when I was uh, when, when I was in college, I had a really good friend, and he was telling me about this book he was reading. And the book was called Contagious Holiness. Now, full disclaimer, I didn't read the book, but he told me about the book, and it was quite interesting from what he told me. And what he told me was how the gospel writers, when they saw the life of Jesus, they would say, they would say actually, when, when, when Jesus entered a situation, the holiness and the goodness that came from him was contagious. It kind of spread to other people. Now, what's so interesting is that often in our, our, our modern society, particularly in church, we think the opposite. We think we can't be around, quote, unquote, sinful people because those sinfulness, they'll get on us. And so we kind of we want to hide in our in our little hide in our churches or hide in our little groups because like well, we got to protect our holiness. Because if I'm around sinners, then, then it'll taint me. Yet Jesus had the complete opposite effect. He'd walk and, and hang out with sinners, and instead of him being infected with sinfulness, he infected them with his holiness. Now, now, now this, this kind of teaches us why Jesus is doing what he's doing. Jesus loves and pursues sinners. Jesus loves and pursues sinners. Therefore, Jesus' followers should love and pursue sinners. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the Lord to help us. Lord, would you, would you help us to understand your word? Would you, would you convict us in areas where we're wrong? And I pray that everyone in here would, would leave with just a, a, a deeper commitment to your love. That they would be convinced even more than they were when they came in about how much you love us. So speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we look at verse 10 and verse 13, and we got this, this idea that Jesus wants to communicate with his people. Verse 13, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Now, he went out to the sea because that was his normal teaching spot. We don't really live by an ocean or, or a sea or a lake. Really, the sea was really a lake. A lake in Galilee. And so the, we didn't have anything, you know, no microphones or anything like that. So he would go to where the water was so that he would get on the boat and he would talk. And so the sound would kind of reverberate off of the water so that more and more people could hear him. 
It was just his usual spot to go and go and teach his people. And people flocked to him because they recognized his greatness. Like we need to, if Jesus is about to see, we need to go be about to see. Because his, his teachings are, are so profound, so rich, so, so, so much wisdom is, is packed into what he's saying that, that I need to go where he is. Now, I think what, one of the interesting things is, is if Jesus was, let's say if Jesus was at Falls Park right now teaching, I, you should probably go there. You probably shouldn't be here, right? If Jesus Christ is at Falls Park, then we all need to leave and go to where he is because we need to hear his teaching. And I think sometimes we wonder, man, I wish it was just so easy to know where he was because if, if I knew where he was, then I would go to be where he at so I could hear what he's got to say. But in reality, he no less teaches us today than he did back then. See, Jesus gives us something that, that, that some theologians would call the means of grace. What it means is, is that there are particular ways that we connect with Jesus. And just as surely as they could sit before Jesus in person and hear him, if we place ourselves in, in front of the means of grace, then we will hear Jesus Christ too. What are these means of grace? What, what are, the, what are the, the places that we go to sit and listen to Jesus? Well, well, first and foremost, we go to the word of God. Now, we just all agree that if Jesus Christ was speaking of Falls Park, we'd all get in our cars and go to Falls Park. Yet, it says that he speaks to us through scripture. Now, is, is our Bible dusty? Do, does it sit? And we, like, we look at it sometimes, and, and we look at it, and we go, oh, man, it's, I don't, it's kind of boring. I don't want to read it today. Because we don't actually trust that, that Jesus, just as much as Jesus was teaching them in person, when we open the scriptures, Jesus Christ is teaching us. So, so the motivation for, for reading scripture is not just to check a box. It's because I want to hear from the living God. And his word is living and it's active and it, and it teaches and it changes and it transforms. So, 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 so if you want to go sit at the feet of Jesus, go sit with the word of God. Not, not only that, he, we were taught by his word, but we also are taught by his indwelling Holy Spirit. If you trust in Jesus, that means that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and that when you pray, when you carve out time to be with him, the spirit of God communicates to you. He convicts you of where you're wrong. He comforts you when you're weak. He encourages you when you don't feel like continuing. Just as sure as Jesus Christ in the flesh taught these people, his spirit lives inside of you. And he can teach you and encourage you and when you read the word, there's this doctrine it's called illumination. Say illumination. illumination. All right, illuminate is the idea that when you read the word, that the Holy Spirit makes the word clear to you. That he opens up your eyes. You ever, you ever read a scripture and you read it before, but you read it and you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I ain't never noticed that part. That's the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit communicating to you, teaching you. Not only does he teach us by the word of God, not only does he teach us by the, by the spirit, but, but we are taught by God in public worship. Now, y'all know I'm a dork, so, you know, if you don't know, you know. And so there's this quote, quotation from this ancient confession. It says this. It says, the preaching of the word of God 
is the word of God. When this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is preached. Now, if you, if you hear that, that's a lofty claim. You say that if somebody is being faithful to the scriptures and is preaching the word of God, then that is the word of God to you. Now, listen, have you ever been at church and, and the preacher was preaching and then you were like, he talking to me? You ever felt that? You were like, oh, snap. How did he know? He, I, I didn't tell him that. No, no, that's because God promises to speak to us through the preached word. That's why 2,000 years later, we still do this thing called preaching. Because that's how God speaks to us. That's one of the means through which God comforts us and convicts us and convinces us of his love. And so when we gather together, we gather to hear the word. But, but, but one of the, the saints of the church, Augustine, a North African saint, he said we have the preached word. That's the audible word. And then we have the visible word. Well, what's the visible word? The visible word is the sacraments or ordinances. When we, when we take communion, God has given us something to see. Now, I can tell you that his flesh was broken, but then when you break the bread, you see that his flesh was broken. I can tell you that his blood was spilled, but when you drink from the cup, you, you get to taste what was poured out for you. And not only that, he communicates to us through the singing and the praying. It, it's, it's so cool to be at church and just to, to kind of observe. I don't get to observe a lot because I usually I sit in the front. But every now and then, I kind of look around. And we'll be singing a song, and it, it seems like somebody's really into it. And it seems like God is really communicating and really teaching them as we're singing together. Or when we have prayer time, it seems like, oh, man, the Lord really is comforting and, and, and speaking and teaching to his people. Listen, when we gather together, the living God teaches us. So just, just as we would run to Falls Park if Jesus Christ was there, we should run when we worship together because we have this promise that he will speak to us. Now, Jesus, he, he teaches. He has this, this notable ministry that people are running to him. And so what happens in, in verse 14 is just surprises us a little bit. Jesus calls public sinners to follow him. Look at verse 14. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, I don't know anybody who just loves taxes. You know, if you do, that's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but I want you to understand, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just that he was, his job was a tax collector. You got to understand, in the framework of the Jewish mind, so they have been uh, oppressed by the Roman government. All right, so, so imagine if like your country is occupied, right? So if Canada comes, it's like, takes us over and Canada's occupying us, right? And so then they, they place these tax collectors and, and, and they actually employ people who are from that country. In other words, they're traitors. You work in, why would you work for them? They, they took our land. They're oppressing us. And they had a lot of power, so they would, they would do this thing called extortion which is that they would take more money than they actually they needed so they could stuff their own pockets. So not only was he a traitor, he's taking money out of the pockets of his own people. Listen, when people saw tax collectors in that day, when Jews saw tax collectors, they were like, you enemy, you traitor, get away from me. I can't believe that you would do You, you are, are, are put, filling your pockets with our food. It would be like Jesus calling a monster. 
You know, I don't know if you've ever watched a, one of those shows and, and, and maybe it's in a big city and, and, and somebody comes and says, I need you to give me the protection money. Now, the protection money is actually extortion, man. Protect from who? From you. Give me the money so I don't attack you. Well, thank you. You know, <laughs> like, and, and it's like, like, everybody knows who it is. Everybody hates him. And Jesus is walking down. And he says, you, 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 you mobster. You who's taking everybody's money. You who are abusing people. I want you to be my disciple. Now, what is everybody going to think? Do you know? Do you know him? I mean, like, imagine Jesus walking, walking around in Afghanistan and, and he sees a Taliban leader. He's like, that one. I want you to follow me. What? He's not cool. He's not with us. He oppresses us. Think about whoever causes trouble in your community. It would be like Jesus calling them. One of the most interesting prayer walks I ever went on. One time me and Caleb went on a prayer walk, and, and we were talking to this guy, and we were like trying to get some information of how we could serve the community. We're like, how could we serve the community? What can we do to help? And, and he pointed at somebody's house who will remain unnamed, and he said, get them to leave. And I was like, okay, uh, anything else that I can do for you? <laughs> you, know, like, you know, what else can I do? The idea was like, they, they looked at this particular house, so they're hurting the community, they need to get up out of here. To that man, it would be like Jesus calling that person. Jesus calling the one who we would say, no, not that one, not that one. So Jesus calls public sinners to follow him. He calls the one who have their mugshots in the paper. He calls the one who are on the, the most wanted paper. He calls those ones, the ones that we would avoid. And, and guess what? Sinners are supernaturally drawn to Jesus. What did it say? He said, follow me, what did he do? He got up and he followed him. He's at work, y'all. Oh, Jesus said, I gotta go, I gotta go. There's this, there's this uh, guy named Moses, not Moses in Exodus. The Moses in, uh, in about the 300s, he was, a, he was in the deserts of Egypt. He was a thief and a gang leader. And he would roam around the deserts and just steal stuff from people. And one day, Jesus Christ transformed his life. And he started to devote himself to a life of prayer. And one day, he's praying. And some of his, his former you know, gang members, they come. And Moses is still a gangster. And so he beats them all up. All right? He beats them all up. And then he takes them to a superior. He's like, look, I got these people. Uh, they try to steal something from me. I beat them up. What should I do? He's like, teach them about Jesus. <laughs> and so Moses, the one who had a gang, ended up having a gang of people who prayed. There's a time when... Um, when John was really determined to get me to read this book. I'm sorry I haven't read it yet. But the book is called Street God. It's about this guy named Demas Salaberios, and he was a drug dealer in New York. And what I remember you told me is that when he actually started following Jesus and he started going to a church, that the FBI put people in the church to watch him. That's how bad the dude was. They're like, we don't know if he's for real. Jesus calls people like that. And then not only does he call him, he changes him. Levi, this tax collector, this public enemy, this traitor, this extorter, he becomes Matthew the apostle. And he writes the very first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus calls public sinners, changes them. And that, that gives me so much hope because I'm thinking, man, who could Jesus change through our ministry? And what, what, what's he going to do? Who is he going to call? Are we ready for that? 
Are we ready for some public sinners to come and get changed? I want that. So look at verse 15, and Jesus is still seeking fellowship with sinners. Look at, he says, while he, Jesus, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who were following him. What I love about this is that Jesus actually spent quality time with sinners. He didn't just preach to them. He said he eating. Like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a meal together. And, and, and it's known that he would eat with sinners because his enemies would try to confront him on that. In Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, it says, it says, the son of man came eating and drinking. And they, his enemies, they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what, that's what Jesus is known for, hanging out with people who, whom he shouldn't be hanging out with. He ate with the lowly and despised. He celebrated with those who are far from God. See, Jesus loves the public enemy and the morally scandalous. That's what it means, tax collector and sinner. Tax collector is the public enemy, the one that everybody hates. And sinners, that's just the ones who are morally scandalous, they, that their dirt is in the street and everybody knows. They know what they're like. He loves the one that everyone else hates. He loves the ones that are talked about and avoided. I remember when, when, I, when I first moved over here in this neighborhood, I would drive around and I would pray. And I remember there was one particular summer I, I, I was driving up and down Anderson Road and I was praying. And I began to notice that I started seeing some of the same people walking around. And I, I started to know that I actually was seeing some of the same women walking around. And, and one of the things I noticed about them is, 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 is you could tell that their life had been hard and that they had been out of the sun a lot. Their skin was, it just, it looked like it was harmed by the sun. And it was hot. It's South Carolina summer. And I'm like, why are they walking around? What is going on? Like, and and they, they, look, they look troubled. And as I kept driving around, I thought, oh my goodness, the reason that they are out in the sun all the time is because they are prostitutes. I don't know what has happened to their life for them to be in that situation, but here's what I know. That's who Jesus will hang out with. That's who Jesus would call. Listen, listen, whatever your past, you need to understand Jesus loves you. Whatever, whatever you have done, you need to understand that Jesus is pursuing you. There, there is nothing that you have done that he goes, that's too far. There's no dirt that somebody has on you that Jesus doesn't know. He says, you, 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 I'm calling all of y'all. And beloved, our hearts should be like that too. Because Jesus teaches his disciples to pursue sinners. Look, 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 look. In verse 15, it says, they, the tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and who? His disciples. He's like, let me show you what this is about. Let me show you the type of ministry that I want you to have. This is who you spend your time with. This is who you eat with. See, the method of Jesus is actually getting to know people who are far from God and not just treating them as projects. Yeah? We're not just showing up and saying some words, right? No, who are you? What is your life? Tell me your story. Do you want to come over to my house and eat? This is the method of Jesus. And it's much more costly than throwing some words out from time to time. But this is what he taught to his disciples. So who, who could you build friendships with? Yeah? Who around you is, is the, the, the public enemy? The morally scandalous? I need to make a caveat. I always got to make a caveat. Listen, if you struggle with alcohol, Jesus is not calling you to go hang out with people who drink. Okay, just get your mind right. If you struggle with gambling, you're not supposed to go to the casino and share the gospel. Okay, don't be dumb. 
I know, because Pastor Will said, no. <laughs> Got to make that clear. But take the example of Jesus. He didn't just go by himself. He came with his disciples in groups and hung out with people who, who others would discard. The reason why people were drawn to Jesus is because they were drawn to his grace. Apostle Paul, one who, in the, before his conversion, uh, would, would uh, go and try to attack Christians, he said about his own life, he said, I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who will believe in him for eternal life. This is why we hammer about the gospel and about grace. The grace of Jesus is what draws people. That's what we talk about, his forgiveness and his mercy that does not have an end. You cannot exhaust it. You got to make that clear. Now, as Jesus is hanging out with and, and, and changing sinners, the religiously prideful hate it. In verse 16, it says, when the scribes who were uh, Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, the, the religious saw Jesus ministering to sinners as compromise. Now, you got you. Hey, man, you, you, Jesus, you care about your reputation, right? Like, you're supposed to be a teacher. You can't be hanging out with them. You can't be getting your hands dirty like that. Jesus was not compromising. He was influencing. They were disgusted that, that he was with the morally scandalous and those who were public enemies. They, they thought that, hey, man, you can't just be showing these people grace. They need to change their life before you start hanging out with them. Don't you know that? They need to, they need to fix themselves before you start hanging out. No, no, Jesus, back up for a minute. Let them fix themselves before you start hanging out. Or, or, maybe, or maybe they just plain thought that they were irredeemable. Look, those people over there, they ain't never going to change. So, Jesus, why are you wasting your time over there? Back up, Jesus. Jesus says, no. I love sinners. I love public enemies. I love the morally scandalous, and I will go and be with them. This is, this is why we have to be so careful of this modern thing that we do called canceling. You know, people get canceled a lot. The scribes and the Pharisees, they was trying to cancel Jesus, and they were trying to cancel the people that he lived with. Now, listen, now, depending on where you come from on the political spectrum, you want to cancel different kinds of people. Here's the deal. That's not the way of Jesus. Whomever you think is the public enemy, that's who you eat with. Whomever you think is the morally scandalous, that's who you pursue. Jesus' acceptance of sinners was a scandal to the Pharisees because of their pride. They viewed themselves as righteous and pure. And they're like, Jesus, get with the program. Don't you know we're supposed to be holy? But their attitude demonstrated that they were not. Because righteousness and purity includes humility and mercy. If you are claiming to be righteous and you lack humility, then you are not. If you are claiming to be holy, but you lack mercy, then you were not. They were self-deceived. I want our church to be a welcome place for sinners. I don't want people to feel like they got to fix something to come up in here. I don't want nobody to feel like they, they get looked down on. No, no, we, we have to have the attitude of Jesus. You are welcome. Come. Look at verse 17, it says, when Jesus heard this, when he heard what the Pharisees said, when he heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't, call, I didn't come to call righteous, but sinners. 
See, those who think they are well, those are the ones outside of the reach of Jesus. Those who think they got everything together, those are the ones that Jesus doesn't help. That's a dangerous place to be when you're feeling real good about yourself. See, the Lord rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says. He said, when, Je- when Jesus heard this, he told him, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I want you to see something. He compares sin and sickness. And I think that when you think about sin, you think you did something wrong, fix yourself. You think about it primarily as someone, they, they did something, it was an active thing. When somebody is sick, you're like, they are afflicted by something. Something is attacking them. I want you to to understand the grace of Jesus that he sees sin not only as an act that you were committing, but as a sickness that afflicts you. And let me tell you how how I know you can understand that. Have you ever done something in the middle of why you're doing it and and, and right after you did it, you go, I didn't, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I knew it was, why did I do, you had this compulsion to do what was wrong. You ever been there? That's just me. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's, let's be Okay. Whatever. Y'all righteous. Anyway. <laughs> Listen, you know that when sin is active inside of you, you end up doing stuff. You're like, that, as you're doing it, you're like, this ain't right. But I just, there's this compulsion drawing me to do it. Listen, Jesus sees you and he has mercy on you. When Jesus sees a sinner, he doesn't just say, get your junk together. When he sees a sinner, he says, I see someone who is afflicted with sin. And I know that they're doing stuff that sometimes when they do it, they don't even want to do it. And I have come to bring healing to them. That is, that is how Jesus and his compassion views sin. Not some like, somebody who's like, oh, you just done something wrong, so get about my face. No, no. I see that, that, that sometimes you are so conflicted when you're doing the very thing that you know you ought not to do. That you have this impulse. Listen, that is the principle of sin at work in us. And Jesus has compassion even on that. Now he says, I didn't come to call righteous, but sinners. The reality is, if you think, well, who are the sinners? Well, that's everybody. If the Pharisees had known, they would know that they were included in sinners. That large category, it fits everybody from all walks of life. It fits every culture. Don't matter what color your skin is. Guess what? You in a large category of sinners. Welcome. (laughs) But guess what? Who did Jesus come to save? Sinners. Sinners. He came to save those who are sick with sin, who do things and they go, why did I do that? Who, who look at themselves and they have such a low view of themselves and they think, I, I know what they think about me or what they would say about me. And, and there are things that they don't even know that I've done that is wrong. And he looks at them and says, I've come for you. So Jesus came to save sinners by taking the symptoms of sin on the cross. In Romans chapter 6, it says the wages of sin is death. What is owed for sin is death. And the Bible describes this death in a couple of different ways, but, but one of the ways it describes this death is the separation from God. One, as I've been able to serve and, and to be around people, one thing that is, is, is common that everyone feels is shame. 
Sometimes, I, I, when, when people, and you can hear it, you can hear it when, when you say something, when you invite somebody to some sort of religious function, and they say something, well, let me do, I got to get right. Or they'll say something, they'll be joking. If I walked in there, the place, I'd turn on fire. Like, that, that is indicating shame. And we all felt it. And listen, when Christ is on the cross, what is he feeling? Shame. He is up there on the cross, and people are walking by him, wagging their heads, making fun of him. If you say you are who you are, well, why don't you get it? Oh, you can't because you're nailed. Jesus is feeling that shame. He's taking the shame that we ought to feel for sin, and he is bearing it. When he is the only one who ever lived, who only deserved honor, he takes our shame. One of, it's really interesting when, when you look at the narrative of the cross. Jesus is on the cross, and something interesting happens. The sky turns dark. You remember that? There's, a, there's like a, there's an eclipse or something. The sky turns dark. And in a way, it's like, it's like the brightness and the light that comes from the Father is shut off. Why? Why he takes that? Because our sin separates us. Not just momentarily, but eternally from the Father. And Jesus Christ takes our sin, our shame, our guilt. He came to save sinners. And Jesus rose from the dead, and he offers forgiveness. And his church should continue his ministry. If Jesus loves others who, those who others would despise, should not we? The church ought to lift people up. The church ought to dignify those who have been dogged in shame by the world. The church calls all people to this great position. And listen, and you be honest. Like, listen, I know what it's like to feel some shame. I know what it's like to feel guilt. I know what it's like to do something that's wrong and know that I shouldn't have done it even when I'm doing it. And listen, I know this position that can help you. That he can take the consequences of what you have done. And not only that, he begins to bring healing and love into your heart. Beloved, we must be a church that follows the method of Jesus Christ. So first, we, we all have to check our hearts for any type of pride. If you look down on people, if you look at somebody, you go, oh man, what the world? What are they doing? I can't believe they would do that. How dare they? You should know better. Of course they know better. You know better too. If that is you, you have placed yourself outside of the circle of his grace. If we would exhibit any type of that air, any type of that attitude, man, may, may Christ correct us and change us. Because that is not the reflection of whom we serve. And this message is, listen, wh whether you know Christ or not, we all experience these moments where you're like, man, if they knew, if he knew, if she knew, what happened? Listen, maybe you're here and maybe you are the public center. Maybe everybody know about what you did. Maybe everybody know about what you did and they don't like you because of it. Well, guess what Jesus calls you? Jesus forgives you. Jesus loves you. Maybe you're here and you're like, if you knew my morals in private, if you knew what I did when nobody else was looking, you would look down on me so much. 
Well, guess what? Jesus knows exactly what you do. And he says, I want you. I love you. I'm calling you. You follow me. Maybe you're here and you're trying to hide your sin sickness. And Jesus says, come to me. I am the physician. Listen, Jesus and his followers love and pursue sinners. So one of the things I, I, I encourage you all to do, if you follow Jesus, I would encourage you just to review your schedule. Would your schedule match that of Jesus Christ? Would your schedule reflect the fact that Jesus loves those public sinners and he loves those morally scandalous and he demonstrates his love by spending time? Does your schedule reflect the ministry of Christ? And if it doesn't, ask him, Lord, help my schedule to reflect you. Help what I spend my time on to reflect the grace that you have demonstrated on the cross. I hope and pray that our church's schedule does match that. That we're spending time with those who are far from God so that we can demonstrate the love of Christ to them. So Jesus pursues sinners and loves sinners, and that's good news. Because every single one of us would go into that category. And he saves us, and he heals us, and he recruits us to his mission to go and do the same. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord God, you demonstrate your kindness and your love. You love us. You love us when we are unlovable. When we have done things that deserve shame. You love us, and you say, I'll take your shame. Lord, I pray that our church would be a place where those who are weighed down by sin and guilt and shame would feel welcome. That this would be a place where those who are weak and lowly and hurting could have their head lifted up by Christ Jesus. And Lord, would you demonstrate your goodness by doing exactly what you did with Levi, that you would welcome sinners, that you would change them, and that you would send them out to continue your ministry. Would you do that with us, Lord Jesus? In your name, amen.